Tuesday, April the 4th, 2023. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of That's What G Said Podcast. We have a lot to discuss on this episode. We'll talk a little bit about UConn winning the men's national championship. LSU wins the uh, the women's national championship. That one got great, great ratings. Baseball, the first week. Let's take a little uh, look in and see what's going down. Uh, everyone's played about four or five games so far. And then on the flip side, the NBA will have their final week. Let's head into Tuesday's games and see what everybody needs to happen in the last, you know, four or five uh, days of the of the NBA season. Everybody's got, I think, three or four games left. The Kentucky Derby is a month away. Let's dive into the points list. There are three prep races this weekend, then there's one more sort of last chance prep. We'll talk all about what the points list looks like and the, uh, the races coming up this weekend. I was live at WrestleMania last weekend and at the Ring of Honor Supercard of Honor show. I'm going to talk about the Ring of Honor show a little bit here, and then we're going to have a separate WrestleMania recap and a Monday Night Raw review with Andrew, with Darren, and with Chad. That's going to be uh, on another episode coming up in just a few days. And we finish up with The Mandalorian, Episode 5, Deep Dive and Review with Tim Kelly, Scene by Scene. So, lots of things happening in the world of sports. This is one of those really cool times of the year where all these different sports are starting, finishing with the Masters coming up this week. But UConn wins the national championship. UConn, through their six tournament games, they beat Iona. St. Mary's, Arkansas, Gonzaga, Miami, San Diego State. They won all six by 13. They didn't have to play a team that was higher than a three seed in Gonzaga. They played three number five seeds along the way, a 13, an eight, and a three. They didn't have to play any teams that were ranked in the top 10 coming into the tournament. They kicked the crap out of everyone. They're the only team in history of the tournament to win all six of their games by at least 13 points. They won five of the six by 15-plus points. They didn't allow any opponent over 65 points. Just domination, incredible performance from UConn. And I I struggled with a lot of my bracket, but I actually had UConn winning. It was who we gave out as our, uh, our future pick. And you just look at the, their season. They had a bad stretch when they were a little bit banged up where they lost, what was it, five out of six games. They lost six out of eight. And following that, they finished the season really strong. Their only losses late in the year, January 25th against Xavier by three. Following that, they won three in a row. They lost to Creighton on the road by three. Following that, they win six in a row. They lose to Marquette in the Big East Conference Tournament by two. And then in the NCAA Tournament, they just dominate all the way through. They finish with the number three ranked offense efficiency, the number seven ranked defensive efficiency. They were number two in the nation in offensive rebounding percentage. Just a well-balanced, very, very good basketball team. UConn wins. And we saw the uh, women's side, LSU Gets the victory over Iowa and Caitlin Clark. And what was funny about this is obviously Caitlin Clark, who was fantastic. She was talking a lot of smack throughout. And then when she lost, they were talking some smack back to her on LSU. And that's great. I love that. You get to dish it out. You got to take it a little bit also. And um, incredible stuff for the uh, women's uh, the ratings for the game. They were... Uh, 
103% up year over year. They peaked at 12.6 million. They had 9.9 million viewers. Record breaking. So congratulations. It was just a really fun women's season in NCAA women's basketball. A lot of buzz. A lot of people on social media talking about it. And it paid out. Uh, just great, great ratings. So that... NCAA basketball season is in the books. Both the men and the women's season are done. But as those seasons finish up, one season just started. And that's the baseball season. So we're only about four or five games in. So just a small sample size. We don't really know a whole lot because most of these teams have just played like one series and maybe another game or so. But let's just see who's had a good week to start. In the American League, the Rays won all four of their games, and they have a plus 22 run differential. They've only allowed five runs in the four games. A good start for the Yankees as well. They've only allowed eight runs in their four games. They were 3-1 and one in their first four. Red Sox, going to look like what we have expected from the Red Sox in recent years. Scoring a ton of runs, but allowing a ton of runs also. They're 2-2, two and two, but they did score 33 runs in their first four games. Orioles 2-2, two and two, and, the, and the Blue Jays 1-3 and three to start the year. In the AL Central, the Twins won their first four games. They only allowed five runs in those four games, so a really nice start for them. And then for the Guardians, sort of the flip side, they're scoring a bunch of runs early. They've won four of their five. They're 4-1 and one with 29 runs scored, and all of those games have been on the road so far. So a really nice start to the season for Cleveland. White Sox 2 and 3, Royals 1 and 3, and the Tigers 1 and 3 to start the year. Out in the AL West, Texas Rangers with a good start to the season 3 and 1, they scored 29 runs with a plus 16 run differential. The Angels 3 and 1 and they've only allowed 6 runs in their 4 games. So a nice start for the Angels, they have a plus 21 run differential through 4. Astros lost 3 of their 5 to start. The A's 1-3, and the Mariners 1-4. A quick look in at the American League. Now we head to the National League. In the East, Braves and Mets, both with nice starts to the year. Braves 3-1 in their first four. Mets 3-2. So the money they spent has been uh, help uh, helping out a little bit, but um, they have been outscored in their five games so far. Washington, Miami, and Philly, not great starts for any of them. Washington 1-3. Miami one in four, Miami has only scored nine runs in five games. And Washington's only scored nine runs in four games. Philly, 0-4, yet to win this year, and a negative 25 run differential. Not a great start. In the Central, how about the Cincinnati Reds winning three of their first four games? They've just been a little bit better than anyone would have expected. Um... Reds and the Brewers, both 3-1 and one in the Central. Nothing that really jumps off the page with either one of them. The Cardinals and the Pirates, both 2-2 two and two to start. Cubbies, 1-3. It's been a really stro- slow start for Bellinger. He finally uh, had a nice home run there day. Then in the AL West, what a weird start for the Dodgers. They Their first two games uh, that they won against Arizona, they beat them up. And then they lose two close games to Arizona. So Dodgers are 3-2. and two but they've scored 33 runs and they have a plus 22 run differential. Padres with a comeback victory or a late win. They're also three and two to start. They do. uh, They've been outscored giants two and two diamondbacks, two and three and the Rockies two and three to start the MLB 
season. So as college basketball finishes, baseball just getting started. I want to remind all of you about one of the longtime sponsors of That's What G Said podcast, Cindy Carava, full service realtor, Cindy Carava. Now she can help you out with buying, with selling, with leasing. She can help connect you to the right type of lenders if you need help with uh, the process of getting a loan. Maybe you're looking at home improvement. She can connect you to all sorts of vendors that she's worked with, really great folks that she has experience with, gardeners, painters, landscapers. That's her job. She just wants to help make your life easier, whether it's something that you need on a large scale or a smaller scale. She knows it all. She can tell you how the market's going. She can just do a free market analysis of your home's value. C-I-N-D-Y. C-A-R-A-V-A.com. That's the website. She is one of the kindest and most genuine people you will ever meet. Cindy Carava. Dodger fan. Cindy Carava. I'm sure she's excited that the Dodgers are back. She can kick back and watch the Dodgers. And uh, I'll be hoping that it's a good final week of the NBA season for the Lakers. Let's talk about the NBA right now with uh, three or four games left for everyone to play. Over on the Eastern Conference side, Bucks and Celtics battling it out for the one seed. The Celtics have the tiebreaker, but the Bucks are up two games. They look like they they could uh, seal the deal and put them away. Boston, Philly, there's a big game between those two teams coming up this week. Cleveland's in the four spot right now. They look pretty settled in there. And the Knicks look like they're pretty settled in the five spot. They're two and a half games up on Brooklyn. So those teams look like they're your one through five. Brooklyn right now in the East is the sixth spot. Remember, that's a very important line because if you're one through six, that means you get a for sure playoff series. And then the teams that are in the seven through 10 have to play their way in. Right now, Miami is the seventh spot. Atlanta is the eighth spot. That would mean Miami and Atlanta would play a one game playoff game. The winner would go on and be the number two, uh, would play the number two seeded Boston Celtics in a 2 7 matchup. The loser would drop down. They would play the winner of Toronto and the Bulls. Toronto Raptors and the Chicago Bulls are your other two playing teams. So that's a, a quick look at the East over on the West, where things are a lot more intriguing because Denver looks like they've wrapped up the one spot. They're three games ahead of Memphis, so Denver will likely be your one. Memphis is your number two. They're a couple games up on Sacramento. Sacramento's the number three seed right now. They will pretty likely be the three. Phoenix looks like they're going to be settled into the four. They're two and a half games up on the Clippers. Then you have the Clippers, the Golden State Warriors, the Lakers, and the Pelicans. They all have the same amount of losses right now. They all have 38 losses. What's crazy is the Lakers, they actually play the Clippers and the the Suns. Then they have two games against Utah. If the Lakers win their four games, they are the number five seed. If they go 4-0, it doesn't matter what anyone else does. The Lakers will be five. Now, things are going to get interesting because the Golden State Warriors, the Clippers, the Lakers, the Pelicans, these teams probably don't want to play the Suns in the first round. So um, you're going to see them maybe try to jockey a little bit. The only problem is they can't really do that because they could risk falling out of the playoffs and then into the play-in to where you'd have to to win a game or two. So I don't know. Dallas and Utah look like they're done. Utah 
has sat uh, Walker Kessler for the rest of the year. He has a concussion. Laurie Markkinen's not playing tonight, which is Tuesday night against the Lakers. And Dallas, they're in the 11th spot right now. They're talking about sitting Kyrie and Luka for the rest of the year and not even worrying about it. So right now, Lakers 7 seed, Pelicans 8 seed, T-Wolves 9 seed, Oklahoma City Thunder 10 seed. Those would be the teams in the play-in. But the Lakers do have the tiebreaker over the Warriors and the Pelicans. So if they were to be tied with those teams, the Lakers would gain the advantage and would be the higher seed. <laughs> Just insanity coming up in this final week of the NBA. I will say that the uh, the play-in tournament has worked. There's so much more intrigue and interest in the NBA right now in the final stretches. So Tuesday, some big games to keep an eye on. Minnesota at Brooklyn. They need to try to keep winning. You've got Sacramento, New Orleans. The Pelicans need to win. The Lakers go to Utah and Oklahoma City at Golden State, which is a massive game for those two teams who right now uh, are the 6 and the 10 seed. Then on Wednesday, the Lakers play back-to-back against the Clippers, which could be a huge game. Because if the Lakers win tonight, they will be tied with the Clippers come tomorrow. But you wonder, Anthony Davis, LeBron, it's a back-to-back, what will they do? On Wednesday, other games of intrigue, Memphis, New Orleans, Sacramento, Dallas, pretty important games there. Then a little later in the week, on Friday, see anything on Thursday? Oklahoma City, Utah, Denver, Phoenix. Then on Friday, you'll have Dallas getting that home game against Chicago. Golden State goes on the road at Sacramento, and then you've got Clipper or you got Phoenix and the Lakers. All three games with Western Conference playoff implications. Saturday, Minnesota at the Spurs, Denver and Utah. If Utah is still hanging around, and then Portland and LA. I don't even know if Utah. They're, they're not really uh, seeming like they're trying to get into the play-in. And then Sunday, everyone will be playing in that final day. Lakers, Utah, Clippers, Phoenix, Golden State at Portland, Sacramento at Denver, Memphis at Oklahoma City, New Orleans at Minnesota. That could be a really huge game for those two teams. We'll all be paying attention to the final week of the NBA season. Who's making it into a, a play-in spot? Who's going to get a full series? We'll know in the next few days, and uh, Eric will be here with me to talk all throughout the playoffs, and we'll be doing some individual basketball daily previews come playoff time also, so stay tuned to find out more on that. Now we're going to shift the focus on over. Let's talk a little horse racing. It's time for the Kentucky Derby in just a month. We are going to dive into the points list right now, take a look at the point standings and uh, talk about who's going where um, and some possible plans, what the three prep races look like coming up this weekend. racing fans many of us have been using the drf the daily racing form for years studying the races keeping up to date on news with all the articles i remember looking for a copy at the local liquor store or picking one up at the local racetrack wherever i was going 
Now it's even easier and cheaper than ever to use DRF with DRF.com and the newly optimized DRF Mobile. You can get all the tracks that you want to bet and handicap. Past performances that are mobile optimized for on-the-go handicapping on your phone. So you go to DRF.com from your mobile device, no additional cost. Tap the calendar icon on the top left. It opens all of the options for past performances and for the tools that are available. One click to bet now and DRF bets. Get real-time odds and scratches on race day. You can tap on any horse and you get those same DRF past performances that you're familiar with with a larger font for your mobile display. One click to formulator for charts for replays if you get the formulator version. And even on the classic past performances, you get the home screen with horses, with odds, with buyers. You get a lifetime buyer speed figure graph. You can rotate your phone for the best view. And any horse that you click on, you'll see the running lines. You can easily move from horse to horse. The same data as those traditional classic DRF past performances. You get an interactive format, which is... Very similar to the DRF Classic version that you're used to on the desktop. Every card includes live data updated instantly with those scratches. And so you get the accessibility from desktop to phone. Cross-device functionality. You can take your notes and save them from one device to the next. And then access your account on any of your devices. On-the-go handicapping and wagering multiple formats to view you got the overview page with recent speed figures current days odds easy access to expert selections and analysis you got the buyer speed figure graph with lifetime buyer speed figures and chart notes for every horse and you got those traditional drf pass performances that are just newly optimized for your mobile phones they are constantly upgrading improving and making everything easier for you to get your handicapping done at drf.com better you want to spread your pony knowledge Download the Stable Duel app and play today. Come join us every weekend on Friday morning, 10 o'clock a.m. Eastern time. But this weekend, we're actually going to go at 9 a.m. Eastern time. i got to go a little early to help out at uh, Milo's school on Friday morning, so we're going to get that one done early. We give out all of our best bets. We give out all the Stable Duel information for a contest and all the great details. And then we only give out 5 to 1 and up. It's the no chalk zone with myself, Barry Spears, and Matt DeSantis. We'll tell you everything you need to know about Stable Duel. So, Kentucky Derby time, month away. We have four prep races left. The Wood Memorial, the Bluegrass, the Santa Anita Derby, all coming up this weekend, Saturday, April the 8th. All of them 100 points to the winner, 40 to second, 30 to third, 20 to the fourth place finisher. So lots of points on the line coming up this weekend. Now, we know what the points list looks like. Let's just sort of run through it real quick. We have Forte, number one. We saw him... Look impressive winning the Florida Derby. I guess impressive is subjective depending on what you think of him. But he will be your favorite come Kentucky Derby. Angel of Empire won the Arkansas Derby. He looked pretty good 
Two fills we saw in the Jeff Ruby, and we've seen him show up in a few different spots. He's third on the points list. We have the UAE Derby winner, Derma Sotagake, who is fourth with 100 points. Kings Barn was your Louisiana Derby winner. He's fifth on the list. Practical move we've seen in Southern California. Practical move will be running this weekend in the Santa Anita Derby. He's sixth on the list. Rocket Can, he's number seven. I thought his race in the Arkansas Derby might have been a little better than it looked at first glance, and they said that they're still going to plan to run with him. Confidence Game should be running in the Lexington coming up. He's eighth on the Kentucky Derby points list. We will see Ray's Kane this weekend. Looks like Ray's Kane is going to be in the bluegrass this weekend. Uh, Ray's Kane is ninth on the points list. Wild on Ice, he's your Sunland Derby winner. He's 10th. They just worked out on Tuesday. Looks like he's still going to point to the Kentucky Derby. They haven't made any for sure decisions yet. Number 11 on the points list is Tappet Trice. We're going to see him run in the Bluegrass Stakes coming up this weekend. Mage is number 12. He was your runner-up in the Florida Derby. Reincarnate exits the Arkansas Derby. He's 13th on the Kentucky Derby points list. Jace's Road, currently 14th on the Kentucky Derby points list right now. And Jace's Road has 45 points. Cyclone Mischief is 15th on the points list. Major Dude is 16th on the points list. And Major Dude could... Major Dude right now has 40 points along with King Russell, Disarm, all with 40. 16, 17, 18, King Russell got his points, gained his points in the Arkansas Derby. Disarm gained his points in the Louisiana Derby. He has 40. Sun Thunder is currently number 19. Sun Thunder was 5th in the Louisiana Derby. Could run in the Bluegrass. Doesn't have a tab recently, though. We're not sure. Red Route 1 is 20. He has 33 points. So that's your top 20 right now. You have Instant Coffee on the outside looking in. He could run in the Lexington. He has 32 points. Uh, Continuar is number 22. Fantastic again, number 23. Classic Car Wash, number 24. General Blanker, number 25. So that's your top 25. That's the horses who are all in right now. Now let's talk about the races this weekend. Who is going to be in those races and how could it impact this points list and how could things change? Let's start with the Bluegrass. Keeneland opening weekend. Here are some of the listed possibles and probables. Scooby Quando, Ray's Kane, Sun Thunder, Mendelssohn's March, Major Blue, Haystrike, Blazing Sevens, Classic Car Wash, Verifying, Tappet Trice. So, of these horses, Ray's Kane would be in the Derby. He's number nine right now. Sun Thunder would be in the Derby. And all the other horses, they need points in order to get in. Scooby Quando is number 49 on the list. Uh, Strike is number 51. Blazing Sevens is 36. Classic Car Wash 24. Verifying is 41. So all these horses need points. Without looking at the past performances and diving into it right now, just of the horses that I've been following, I'm expecting a really big effort from Verifying. He just did not have a great trip last time out. And there's something there as far as talent is concerned. So I'll be looking at Verifying curious to see what the, the field looks like when it's finalized on Wednesday a quick look into the bluegrass there the wood memorial here are some of the listed possible probables for the wood memorial transect slip mahoney 
He has 20 points, so he's number 30th on the list right now. Shadow Dragon, he has 42 points, so he's actually number 13. He would be in. You have... Or excuse me, he he is uh, he has 13 points. I had that backwards. I couldn't even read my notes. So he, has, he is number 42 on the points list, and he has 13 points. So Mahoney, 20 points. He's 30th. Shadow Dragon's 42. Lord Miles is 56 on the list. He has 5. General Banker has a few points. Him and Hit Show are right next to each other. They're 25 and 27 on the list. They they have 20, 20 and 24 points. Clean up the air or clear the air is number 57. He's way down there, but he does have 5 points. Arctic Arrogance has 16 points, so he's number 37 on this list of all the horses who have Kentucky Derby points. So the full field, top to bottom, of the listed probables from the NYRA website. Arctic Arrogance, Classic Catch, Croupy, Clear the Air, Hit Show, General Banker, Dreamlike, Lord Miles, Mr. Swagger, Shadow Dragon, Slip Mahoney, and Transect. That's your Wood Memorial probables a day out from the entries. Now... The Santa Anita Derby possible probables are a little bit strange because you have a few of these horses that recently ran at Sunland. I'm curious if they're going to be wheeled back. Zio Joe was listed as a horse, but he just won an allowance race. He's not going to be coming back. Henry Q was third in the Sunland Derby. Low Expectations was second in the Sunland Derby. One in Vermilion was fifth in the Sunland Derby. They were all listed as possible probables. You have to wonder if they'll come back here. All trying to get some points. XL Calculator is entered in a maiden race coming up and is still a maiden. Question marks about Colomio, if they will enter. Some of the horses who we will see in here. Practical Move, who was really impressive. He's number 6 on the points list. He has 60 total points, so he's in the Derby winner lose this race, but he's a major player. And then you have a couple Bafferts who are entered in this race that are listed as Bafferts. Cave Rock, Arabian Lion, and Hijazi. We know that if they were to win, they wouldn't get the points. But they are working. Dazzle Me Silver is still a maiden. I don't get it. Listed for this race. Mandarin Hero from Japan will be running. National Treasure, who missed the San Felipe, probably running here. Go Rocket Ride and Skinner. Now, what's important about this race, you have Practical Move, who has the points, but following him... National Treasure, Go Rocket Ride, and Skinner, they need points. They they need a victory here. They need a top, not a victory, but a top performance, probably top three performance in here to get themselves in. They are not sitting in a spot right now where they are in the starting gate. So it's a big weekend coming up for... You know, go rocket ride for Skinner for horses who don't have points. There are three opportunities this weekend for them. The Wood Memorial, the Bluegrass, and the Santa Anita Derby. And we will have huge coverage of all of those races right here on That's What G Said Podcast. We'll have different guests joining us to talk about Aqueduct and Keeneland. I will roll through the Santa Anita stuff. I'll also be covering Santa Anita races on a preview show on Thursday night on the Santa Anita social media feeds. So a lot 
happening this week with big racing at Keeneland, at Aqueduct, and at Santa Anita. We're getting ready to fire away on all of it right here. Coming up on Easter, and then after that, Mother's Day, a couple of great holidays to take a look at a candle, sarahcandles.com. You're not sure what to get for mom? A couple great candles would really spice up the house a little bit, make everything smell better, and they're healthier and better for you. They're all natural. Soy wax, no toxins, no carcinogens, no pollutants. And when you use the promo code G-I-N-O, it'll get you 10% off your purchase. That website, C-E-R-A-Candles.com, Sarahcandles.com. Use that promo code G-I-N-O for 10% off your purchase. It was a big wrestling weekend. WrestleMania happened. And when WrestleMania happens, there are a lot of other local uh, there are a lot of other promotions that come out in the area where WrestleMania is. They run big shows. So I was able to go see a show on Thursday night or Friday night. Shout out to my sister, Chanel. She got great tickets for me at the Galen Center to Ring of Honor Super Card of Honor. It was a it was a really good show. I just wanted to run through uh, some of the things I uh, I remember from the card. So there were four matches on the pre-show, uh, the Zero Hour, Jeff Cobb, beat Tracy Williams, just about five minutes, pretty basic to get things started. The match of the pre-show was Takeshita versus Willie Mack. I've seen Willie Mack and announced some, some Willie Mack matches. He's really, really good. He just has never gotten a huge opportunity being in the right place at the right time, but he's got charisma. He's good in the ring. He's got a different look. He's not chiseled, He, but he can fly. He can move quickly. Um, Willie Mack. He uh, he was defeated by Takeshita. Willow gets the wind over Miranda Alizé, and then Stu Grayson beat Slim J. So that was the uh, the pre-show. One of the best matches of the entire weekend, a true legitimate five-star match. Elijo de Vikingo versus Commander. Unbelievable stuff. This was for the AAA Mega Championship. This match went 16 minutes. It opened the show. As good as any match you're going to find anywhere all weekend long. Just unbelievable. And in a few weeks, a lot of folks who may not have known Vikingo, they have seen him on US TV a few times and in big spots now. And I think he's going to have a, a pretty big rest of 2023. What a match. We had a six-man tag match for the Ring of Honor World uh, Six-Mans. The Embassy beat AR Fox, Blake Christian, and Metalik. Fun match, only went about eight minutes or so. The women's title match was Athena, she used to be Ember Moon, versus Yuka Sakazaki. This was good, it was pretty hard-hitting. Athena's really leaning into the heel role, and uh, this uh, went about 11 and a half minutes. Samoa Joe versus Mark Briscoe for the Ring of Honor World Television Championship. This was so weird. They pass out Jay Briscoe armbands. Mark Briscoe's brother recently passed away. Everybody... Thinks Mark Briscoe is going to win. You don't really have like a crazy big run going with Samoa Joe. He's older right now. There's a great story to be told with Mark Briscoe. And he loses clean. His kids are around. families around. They're crying. And he just loses. I can't believe it. It didn't make any sense at all. We had the, uh, the ace, Hiroshi Tanahashi beat Daniel Garcia in 12 minutes. 
We had a crazy reach for the sky ladder match for the World Tag Team Championship. The Lucha Brothers get the win over Top Flight. Really scary injury during this match from Dante Martin. Um, hope he's yeah he's gonna be okay and have a quick recovery. It was it was pretty scary looking, and um, these guys just went nuts. Everybody in here was incredible. They all got different chances to shine and good stuff in that match. It went twenty minutes plus. Shibata beat Wheeler Yuta by pinfall in the Pure Championship match, so he is your new Ring of Honor Pure Champion. It was fine, you know, the the Pure matches, they have a different set of rules. They're more traditional wrestling matches, so they're not quite as flashy. But it looks like Shibata could be the next challenger for Claudio Castanoli. They built up Eddie Kingston, and he loses. The two guys on this show, I would have guaranteed Mark Briscoe's winning and Eddie Kingston's winning and they both lost. And then we had something happen like that at uh, WrestleMania on uh, night two. I just, I was surprised. The in-ring quality was great. The booking decisions in both of those matches were just strange. Strange. So a quick look at Ring of Honor, Super Card of Honor. And now we finish up with The Mandalorian. Season 3, Episode 5, it's time for the Deep Dive Recap and Review, Scene by Scene. Tim Kelly joins us to talk about everything going on this Season 3 of The Mandalorian. Spoiler alert, we get into all Star Wars. Everything that could be connected possibly to The Mandalorian in any way, shape, or form. So we'll help you make sense of it. Episode 5, Season 3, The Mandalorian. We are all the way up to... Season 3, Episode 5 of Mandalorian. We are talking about the pirate right now, and Tim Kelly joins us to talk all about this episode. TK, just feeling about this episode compared to, you know, the, the Marvel and the MCU shows, just like watching it, watching some of the, the graphics. I know our friend oh. at New Rockstar was sort of mentioning this, and yes. you can feel the difference in an episode like this where you have mm-hmm. to lean on some uh vfx you have to lean on you know like an aerial battle and there's a lot of stuff going on it just feels like star wars in the world that they're in they do all of the like their graphics a lot of their special effects in-house they have their own team that does it versus the mcu who outsources a lot of things and you can just see the quality you know it's impacted i think when you know marvel does that Today, or in the show we're going to talk about, there there was a character named Zeb who was just a mm-hmm. a cameo. He's a character from Rebels, and it, his scene in this episode is not really important as far as what he does, but it is important just for sort of mm-hmm. giving us a little bit of a signal. Hey, look, this is like the time period that we're in. Expect mm-hmm. to see a few of the people that you may have known from being in Rebels with Zeb. That'll probably lead lead us to Ezra and Sabine, a couple people who we may see either in this series or in the Ahsoka series. But just overall, watching the quality of these things, and this is something that you point out quite a bit, felt like this was uh, really, really solid. Yeah, I'm so glad you mentioned that and that uh, Eric at New Rockstars uh, dove into the reasons why. And he, he mentioned, that, as you uh, pointed out, that it's because they have their own in-house um, special effects teams and, and post-production teams at Industrial Light and Magic. And it's Lucasfilm 
and an ILM that really brought us a lot of these technologies that we see across the board that Marvel uses, that other studios use uh, today, and they've been de developing them for decades. So it's it's right that uh, Star Wars and a program that that's representing Star Wars, you know, would have that level of quality uh, and keep that up because uh, Marvel has been struggling in, in that department, frankly. They've been spreading themselves a little bit too thin. And even though they're also a branch of Disney, they handle things very differently. Uh, their films, they work with ILM. They also work with Weta. And they also farm out uh, a number of different other contractors to do their, their work. And they're, they're bidding. Uh, they have bidding wars with these co contractors and they see who, who can do it for the cheapest. So you, you get what you pay for in some cases. Uh, and uh, just recently, I think we might have touched on this last week, but Victoria Alonso, the head of um, Marvel post-production and production, uh, was just ousted. They just got rid of Marvel's um, CEO on the uh, the, the non-MCU side. I'm not talking mm -hmm. about Kevin Feige, but the rest of the Marvel uh, company, Ike Perlmutter, was just ousted as well. So there's big changes happening uh, in the leadership over there. Hopefully, they can bring some of that quality control that Lucasfilm has uh, kept uh, and, and apply that to Marvel and the rest of their properties. That said, I, I, I won't say that this was perfect. I do think that the writing in some of um, this season of Mandalorian, including this episode, has been not the best. It's like very simple. It's very yeah. basic. We've had a lot of like repeat kind of like they, things that maybe they told us in Book of Boba Fett that they sort mm -hmm. of repeated again because they maybe weren't sure who watched the Book of Boba Fett or if people remember that. Oh, yeah, at the end of Mandalorian season two, there was a huge cliffhanger. We weren't sure what was going to happen with yeah. Din and Grogu. Like Luke Skywalker showed up and then all of that got resolved in a different in a different show. Right. Um, kind of messy. It was. Yeah. And and even I'm like, I feel how you are. And even a lot of the, the how the recaps are like I'm enjoying mm -hmm. what I'm seeing. It is yes. at least worth talking about that. It feels a little different, like the template of the show now. Yeah. This this episode was a very like monster of the week, like Western that we talked about, but mm -hmm. we're mm -hmm. not seeing our two main characters like we used to. It, it used to be right. basically Din and Grogu, like, and then yeah. whatever's going on with them. I mean, in this episode and in, in the last couple, we are from the perspective of Bo-Katan. Yeah, very true. Uh, and I, I find that very interesting. And it's a pattern that these series are, are doing. I mean, just go back to Boba Fett Absolutely and how we right. were talking about how multiple episodes of that series was just, just about the Mandalorian. So now we're in the Mandalorian series. And we had a Dr. Pershing episode, Fett. right? We, exactly. We had a couple of these that were centrally Bo-Katan focused. And mm -hmm. I mean, even in just like, um, like a very basic sense, like Bo is the one leading everything right now. And Din is just more of like a, yeah. like a background player. Here. Yeah, he's support. She, she's <laughs> organizing everything. She's and what's what I think maybe the armorer realized about Bo in just their few interactions. So since Bo and Din have uh, linked back up with the other Mandalorians, we see Bo first of all come in and come to vouch for Din right away. Then mm -hmm. she saves the child of Paz Vizla and she helps everyone organize that. And Paz talks about it here. And then she organizes this entire tactical strike that helps get get the man that helps save Navarro and get the Mandalorians a new place to live within just a short period of time she has really shown her wealth and what she can do yeah. and it seems like it's like you're watching a 
you talk about UFC that you're a fan of, and I'm a fan of sports. Mm-hmm. It's literally like seeing a major league fighter right now come in mm-hmm. and deal like, oh, first round knockout. Oh, submission. Right. Oh, like there don't seem very many Mandalorians that are trained like she is or that are yeah. really in her league. Yeah, she's clearly uh, a natural leader and, and uh, a seasoned leader here and meant to lead. Uh, and so the armorer throughout this episode and in the, in the recent episodes has, has seen that. And uh, it's, I think, very interesting what they do uh, throughout this episode, uh, especially at the end and where we go from here, uh, some big changes. And uh, I think it's also interesting to note or, or noteworthy, I suppose, that uh, Bo-Katan, you know, spoiler alert, she takes her helmet off in this episode. We actually yep. get to see that character's face uh, in this episode and in previous episodes. Maybe maybe that's a reason why she's kind of the main character in these episodes because right. we don't we don't have Pedro Pascal to to see his his beautiful face. So maybe like, yet. You know, maybe yeah, yet. Maybe that's part of it. Right. right. Maybe not, not we know yet. that we know we got that beautiful mug of Pedro. We're gonna have to see <laughs> it a little bit more at some point, and maybe this will be the. Uh, I actually like the idea of this because. I'm someone who grew up in Catholic school, and mm-hmm. I went from kindergarten to eighth grade. I went to St. Luke's. It was a Catholic school. I got baptized, confirmed, first confirmation, um, first communion, all like all the major sacraments. We, mm-hmm. we live a block, like less than a block from the church, so we grew up going there forever. But man, the thing is, old religions that are antiquated nowadays they have they're having trouble getting people in the younger generations to quote unquote buy in right to what they're selling. Um, they have to adapt to the newer times because if not, people are looking at these religions like that doesn't make sense. Nope. That's old. I'm not going to, I'm not going to embrace that. And this, that's just what the armor is sort of doing here in looking and saying, Hey, look, we don't have the numbers that we used to. And maybe the way that we are so set in about only having our helmets on that probably isn't going to work anymore. You know, go find out others, see how they feel, bring them back. It's kind of like what the Catholic church and other religions are having to do nowadays. Yeah, it's true. They're becoming more lenient to get people to fill the pews. Uh, They're, they're becoming more embracing of like LGBT LGBT values and things like that. Uh, Hey, I mean, premarital, premarital sex and children. Cause otherwise if I walked into that church, I would go up in flames. (laughs) You know what I mean? (laughs) I went in there the other day and I didn't burn. So I'm good. You know, <laughs> yeah, they're just making it a lot more more lenient, I, I see. And, you know, uh, I, I grew up Catholic as well. I recently had my my son baptized and uh, it was it was interesting to see the uh, the comparison of my memories going to my childhood church and how filled up it was and how much more sparse it was. these days. Yes. So I can definitely see why, uh, you know, they would want to change things, uh, especially things that are kind of on the fringes of. The belief, not the core doesn't tenets it, of the beliefs. Doesn't it, yeah, exactly. Not the never the core, but just some of the like the like the the dogma, the dogma, right? Which was yeah. hilarious because I was just going to ask you, doesn't it remind you of the movie Dogma, when <laughs> yes, you've got yeah. George Carlin as the priest and he's sitting there and there's like nobody in the pews, but then they're doing yeah. the buddy Jesus to try to get buddy people Christ. out there, buddy Christ. So that movie's great. Funny that you mentioned that particular word because that is one of my like really favorite underrated movies that I just don't think it's talked about quite a bit and it's really no. funny when you watch because it you can't just... stream it you can't stream it anywhere right now I think yeah. and there's no release of it beyond DVD yeah and that's because so I believe that the rights are are tied up with um, Weinstein's it's and, so hard and to the, find like, Miramax 
Yes, you're right. It's just not getting that like second lease on life that a lot of these movies are on streaming services. So that's a great point. Um, And uh, we find out at the end, it looks like Moff Gideon is alive. Mm -hmm. A good little twist. And we may even possibly have some leads to Thrawn. So Mm -hmm. while this did seem like an episode where they had a goal, hey, let's help Navarro. Let's help Grief Karga. Let's see if we can rid the pirates there and then find a home for us. But there are a lot of big things that are introduced here. We even get to see yeah. some of our some of these main characters that we we weren't sure how they were going to connect. We started to see the connection from, you know, Captain Teva to Dr. or Captain Teva to Colonel Tuttle. Tim Meadows shows up, which is just yeah. so funny. And Love he's just him. playing Tim Meadows. Which is great. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know about. Ooh, you know, he's just doing like things. That's not good. Ah, yeah. You know, just hilarious stuff here. And he's fantastic. Um, it. Um, I was listening to the Ringerverse today, and the guy was just like, "I got to go watch the ladies' man right now." You know, like right after this. <laughs> I was like, yeah, dude, that's disgusting. Is um, uh, I I enjoyed the episode. I did. I thought it was a. Uh, it gave me. Like it checked a lot of the boxes for what I'm I'm looking for for Mandalorian episodes. Yeah. In in each one of them. And now I'm 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 pretty pumped moving forward where they finish this episode. Let's dive in to episode five, The Pirate, season three of The Mandalorian. We get the previously on, and then we start our episode in Navarro. We have a meeting with Grief Karga and some of the city engineers. He's planning everything out. You know, they're redoing the city. Hey, where are we going to have the transportation? Where are we going to have this? And what's good about this is it's sort of like if you're um, if you're looking at a map or if you're looking at like a video, uh, like a like a, a board game, you get a look, you get an idea of where everything is before we really see inside of Navarro throughout this episode during the battle and during the fight. So we just kind of get a look at how the uh, the planet is set up, but quickly. Mm-hmm. We notice that there's there's a problem because Grief Karga gets alerted. There are some alarms going off, and we see the pirates have invaded and have infiltrated Navarro. TK, this is something that we expected. When he let one of them go, he let Vane go. We knew that Vane would return, and then we also saw Gorian Shard and Vane interact with Din, and Din was able to outrun them. So we knew it wasn't going to be too long before we saw these guys again. Yeah, we knew the Pirates would be back. Uh, they were setting it up for a, a bigger showdown uh, down the line. And I, I'm actually surprised that it, it, it all happened and, and played out so fast in an all-in-one episode. I was kind of thinking there would be more uh, interaction with this crew uh, and th- this character, th- these Pirates. Uh, I, I really enjoyed them, everything about them, the, the action they the brought. The, uh, yeah, the look of all the Pirates, the, the character design, um, and the, the action sequence uh, you know, of them attacking the city. I thought it was a little, um, that was my one weak part was the initial attack. I thought they just didn't have enough extras or something to, to sell the scale of like this huge. I agree. Even attack. the skinny, even the, the city, somebody was saying mm-hmm. like, were there like 20 people yeah. that live there? Right. You know what I mean, yeah. like it, just, it didn't seem like a very populated <laughs> yeah. area, you know? <laughs> yep. Yeah. And that, there's some, just something about that that felt like, Oh, I'm watching a bunch of extras here. And uh, yeah, you're right. I, I think new rock stars did touch a little bit on that. Uh, as well, the, the the scale just seemed a little bit off, especially compared with this amazing space battle and some of the special effects that we talked about before that were really fantastic. Um, uh, but yeah, the, the pirates, I was really just happy to see them back 
uh, and to and for the the whole episode to be so much about them, that was really cool. Yeah, you, the key is the look, like you said, the look is great. Yeah. And what I like is the ship. Their yes. ship is huge. It's got this like real imperial kind of like feel to it. It's it looks like a like a planet, almost like a moon encompassing the uh, the planet of mm. Navarro here. So, grief gets a hologram call, a hollow message from Gorion. And he lets him know that he has invaded. I don't believe my eyes. This sounds like Grief Karga, guildmaster of the Navarro Hunters. But all I see before me is a pampered nobleman dressed for the pomp <laughs> of his wedding feast. Um, so he he says when uh, he said you gunned down my huntsman, my helmsman in cold blood when he let his guard down on your planet. Now I am going to shoot first. My charts <laughs> indicate that Navarro is an independent world. So he's done his research. He knows there's nobody yeah. coming to save them. And right. Grief. Grief tries to BS him a little bit here. He's like, hey, no, we're, we're, you know, we're, uh, in being protected by the new Republic. They're, they're coming right. soon. He's like, no, no. And even if they were, Gorian knows that the new Republic is backlogged. Right. They, they can't even control the places close to them, let alone a place like this, who's way out of, you know, way out of the way. So he's called, he's basically called grief on his bluff here. Yeah, yeah, and I, I like that little bit of um, that information drop there. They 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 add more to that later on, and and kind of remind us that yeah, this is an independent world. They don't have the backing of the New Republic here. They're all on their own, so to speak, and that creates more of um, uh, a, a dire situation for them, of, of course, and also sets up the reason why we're gonna bring the Mandalorians into this. Like, who's gonna help? Help me, Mandalorian. You're my only hope. Uh, and uh, I, I I like the way it all all played out. I also Love the little um, nod to Greedo shooting first or Han shooting first there. Yes. That, that specific verbiage there was definitely um, an homage to that moment in uh, in Star Wars A New Hope. So the pirates attack with shots from the ships above. Townspeople have to evacuate to the outskirts of the planet. And that's basically our uh, our opening little cold open. We get the Mandalorian title screen. And then we flash to... It looks sort of like a beach area, and I thought it was funny because uh, if you're looking at the script, it actually says psychedelic rock music playing. Yeah, which is like, yeah. oh, okay, it was cool. a And we see the New Republic pirates um, and officers at a bar. So we see some X and some Y wings here, all just sort of relaxing, drinking in between their job and in between their shifts. This is where we see the Zeb cameo, yeah. and and he looks really good. Zeb is a character really from good. Rebels. So they're setting I mean, he's up Than- Thanos level. We got to like, just point that out. Like, yes, at that. It's it's it so is, beyond like, you, uh, yeah, you, I don't know. It's see, great. When you see the little things that are pointed out in some of the recaps and reviews mm-hmm. and like the things that watched about him, it, it's so human. Everything about him yeah. in like you watch the way that his his head like pulsates yeah. like it. it's like, oh, my gosh, like that looks like. Real, like it's it's very very real, and it's just really well done. And you know what? Shout out to them because I guarantee you, all of them would would love hearing a ten second tidbit of people like us on a podcast talking about it like that, right? Like that's why they yeah. put in the time yeah. to hear that yeah. it's like really well done, and that we can all tell how much different it is when they put in the time. And that's yeah. the argument against it. When when some of the folks, trust me, man, I'm sure you have. I've been in meetings with people like this at places where you're trying to tell someone. Hey, I think we need to put a little bit more into that. And they're yeah. like, no, nah, no one's gonna notice. It'll be fine. Yeah. And you're like, no, people, people do notice. And uh, yeah. 
shout out because this was well done with Zeb. But we've in, we've been introduced to Captain Tava before, and he's just a good dude. He mm-hmm. gets the message sent from Grief Karga, and Grief is asking for help. Grief lets him know that pirates have invaded, and Captain Tava has seen sort of some weird things happening little by little around the uh, around the universe, and kind of a, a, a sh- unsure if they're all connected here and there. So he gets this message. And while he's at the bar, it's cool because there are some other fun little cameos in the back. Dave Filoni's in there somewhere, just yeah. chill, just chilling at the bar. A couple of other Big executive, yeah, EPs are back there just hanging out. So yeah. uh, one time we are going to see Eric from New Rockstars in one of these, I'm sure, sitting at a bar somewhere, <laughs> just getting a little, a little cameo in the back. As, yeah. uh, uh, Zeb lets Tava know, though, hey, man, they're way backed up at Coruscant. Like the New Republic's yeah. not responding to any messages or anything. So Captain Tava, um, remember him, he is um uh, the uh great uh really, really funny actor. Um uh and he was a guy who actually pitched himself to play in this. He's just such right. a big Star Wars fan, which is really he's cool. From Kim Kim's convenience, Kim's right? Convenience. He was the lead in that. He's great. He's the father in there that owns the convenience yeah. store. It is funny with uh Simi Lu, um, who's also yeah. in there too. So worlds colliding, right? We got Star Wars yeah. and uh the MCU all coming together here. Uh, so Captain Tava is headed to Coruscant. And as he gets to Coruscant and he arrives to just to talk to some of the New Republic uh, officials, we Officer Kane, who's working undercover, G68, who screwed over Dr. Pershing a few weeks ago. He, um, Dr. Kane sees Captain Tava. So she... Wants to be nosy and, and kind of eavesdrop and see sees what is, is happening. Mm-hmm. So as he meets with Colonel Tuttle, shout out to uh, Colonel Tuttle. Mr. Tuttle was from Saved by the Bell, the teacher there. The the, uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> the sure guy loved Mr. Tuttle. But Colonel Tuttle is uh, is the Tim Meadows character. He works at the New Republic in the requisitions department. And Captain Tava lets him know that I'm requ- uh, requesting Authorization and backup for an Adelphi squadron dealing with a pirate siege on Navarro. Tuttle's never heard of Navarro, uh, but I love this part too. He shows him the hologram message. So Tuttle pulls, or uh, Tava pulls it out and he's showing Tuttle. And Tim Meadows turns on the message for a second, starts to play. Captain Tava, we have been attacked by Pirate King Goring Shard. You once offered I much reach to you. I'm humbly requesting the New Republic to send a and then he clicks it off. Doesn't even listen to more than like five seconds of it. And he's just like, yeah, I get the gist. It does sound concerning. <laughs> it was like such a Tim Meadows. Yeah. I laughed so hard at that. And I've like replayed it like three times just because it, it made me smile. Um, so we could just get the sense that, man, this is a weird dynamic because the, the New Republic isn't the Empire, right? But now we've mm-hmm. seen the inner workings of the New Republic a couple times, and yeah. like, they're not just these end-all, be-all, good guy heroes. This isn't the Avengers here, right? No, like they, it, they're, they're bureaucrats. Yeah. Yes. And, <laughs> and mm-hmm. yeah, go ahead. And the, the, it's the power, absolute power corrupts absolutely, you know, that old saying. It, yeah. it, it's that. They, they, they've come into power, and with all that power being – they're the empire at this point. They, they're the new empire. Yeah. So all, all the trappings of the empire will uh, befall them as well. And it's uh, 
it's I think it's a good message. I think it's a controversial thing to do in Star Wars because it's so wrapped up in the idea of good and evil and dark and light. Um, but I think it's something that they've played with before, especially in the uh, the post Lucas era and the Disney era. Um, and I think it's you know I, I see I see the uh, the dilemma there. You know I feel like Star Wars is this very classical type of storytelling where you are you know you're you're telling a story of good triumphing over evil. Uh, and this is attempting to be something a little bit more nuanced and reflective of the real world and the gray that's out there and not just dark and light. So, um, I, you know, I'm a little bit torn on this, to be honest with you. Yeah. I, I see the benefit of it. And I also see how it's in a sense, a little bit of a betrayal of the I agree spirit with you. of Star it's, Wars. It's strange. It's different. Yeah. You can feel you. You don't know. It's funny. It's like you don't know how to think. It's like when someone that you yeah. don't like says something kind of smart or like has a, <laughs> right, right. has a good take. You're like, damn it. I hate that person, but they're right there. Like, do I got to agree right. with them here? I guess I do. Yeah, I guess, I guess I do. So, um, they continue to talk, but you know, Tuttle it's like, yeah, you know, we're, we're, we're backed up, but okay, we'll see what we can do. And then Kane comes into the office to interrupt. She overhears and she, she lets them, lets Tuttle know. Yeah. They, they have not signed the charter. They're not a member planet. Uh oh, that's not good. It is a uh, table. Yeah. <laughs> what does that matter? We can't just leave them defenseless. Yeah, of course not. But we have a backlog of requests from member worlds that have priority. I don't even know if we have the resources for pirates. He's Tava is trying to let him know. Look, this is not an isolated incident. Naparo has reported stormtroopers in the streets, Tie fighters opening flying above. There's word that Moff Gideon is occupying the town. Now a pirate king is attempting the same thing. All of these events could be connected. But Captain Tuttle says, yeah, I think that's a bit of a leap. Come on, you know? <laughs> um, so he's sort of talking, talking to Tava down off the ledge here. Look, this isn't a rebellion anymore. We have a structure. I work with requisitions. Let's focus on what you require. <laughs> and as Captain Tava requires authorization, he... He gets sort of interrupted by Kane, who says perhaps the leaders of Navarro need to understand why becoming a Republic signatory is valuable by letting them suffer. Sounds like a rather hmm. imperial way of thinking. And he's immediately looking at her, um, the badge that she's wearing. And it's sort of like an, like an amnesty kind of badge. You can tell that she's been, mm. uh, I think that she's, I think the signal is that like, you know, she's someone who's being, um, uh, Re like we said, reworked into society. She's right. someone who was from the empire that they're basically, uh, right? You know, reforming here. So he, Captain Tava, can see with Kane what not a lot of others can have seen already. Like he can tell something's a little bit off with her. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And just the idea that she's like budding in there in that moment. There's something a little bit suspicious about that. Like mm -hmm. that she wants to to be part of this conversation and, and kind of steer it in one way. Um, and uh, yeah, it, like, I guess he would have reason to be suspicious too. Like he would see her and be like, Oh, she's part of this rehabilitation program, this reintegration thing. Uh, uh, she's ex empire. You know, can she really be trusted here? So yeah, I think that's all playing out in this scene. And then we get to see, uh, I, I love Tim Meadows in this, like, like you said, I, I just, those old SNL alums, like <laughs> them popping up anywhere is great. But Tim Meadows is like criminally underrated. So it's it's really good to see him here. I almost 
I'm almost sad seeing him here though, because it's like, man, he deserves more than just like I know. a side character in this. He should be like one of the main characters. Like, like get him in one of the spin-offs. Like, well, he should, should be, be like a Pelly, like a Pelly motto, right? Like as much as we get yeah. to see someone oh, like yeah. that. Because you think I'd of the, the, the role mm-hmm. that she has or like the character that she plays is like a similar character to Tim Meadows. Yeah. They just get to use her comedy in it. That's you know, true. They, they just get to lean into their comedy, which is so great. Like it's all about finding the roles for you. And this one was perfect for him because everything he said, if, if it wasn't that role, it might've even been distracting in a different way. Cause mm-hmm. we've been like, damn, that's Tim Meadows, you know, but they found like <laughs> yeah. the perfect thing for him where it's like, Oh, everything he said worked. And, uh, I, yeah, I really, it really did fit. I really got a kick out of it. So we just quickly check back in in Navarro and grief. Karga has all of the uh, the townspeople way to the outskirts of the planet, and he's just trying to let them know, hey, I've sent for help. They're a little bit worried. They're a little bit concerned. They know they're not part of the new republic, so they're they're not really sure if they should believe grief. But he assures them, we'll be okay. They're coming. And as uh, that happens, Captain Carson Tava tries to find the Mandalorians. He wants to go tell Din that Grief Karga is in trouble. He wants to alert him that someone who he knows he's interacted with could use his help. Because Captain Tava knows that the New Republic isn't going to do anything right now. And he's he's just trying to do what's best like for the greater good. The pirates having a base on a planet like Navarro wouldn't be good for anyone. In the galaxy. Right. Um, so he's being a little bit more proactive instead of reactive in this situation. He wants to help. So he goes to find the Mandalorians. And as he arrives at their covert, they're hidden. They're back in their caves. But he calls out to them. You know, I'm sorry for dropping by unannounced. I know if I would have given warning, your settlement would have cleared out before I ever hit the atmosphere. Um, since someone I served with in the rebellion is among your ranks. And they all start looking around like, which one of us is it? And it's R5. I thought that was yeah. kind of a cool moment. R5 comes rolling out. Beep, 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 beep. And he's, uh, Tava says, thanks, yeah. thanks R5. As, uh, that droid really gets around. I gotta he say, does, I wasn't expecting that. Me yeah. either. He's got some longevity here. Uh, <laughs> Paz Vizla comes out aggressive. Says, uh, clear out. Basically threatens to kill him. Mm. And at the moment when he arrives, all the Mandalorians have their weapons raised. They're They're ready to fire on Captain Teva, but yeah. Din talks them down a little bit. He says, hey, this man cut me a break now. Uh, I'm returning the favor. But Captain Teva tosses over the hologram message to show Din. Navarro is under siege by pirates. He's asking for help. Coruscant doesn't care. Karga uh, is your friend. I know you won't let him die. The New Republic has to know that the Empire is growing again, and he thinks that the pirates may have something to do with it. He says, look, I can't tell for sure, but something doesn't Mm. smell right. I know it's not your fight, but I just came to tell you your friend is in danger, and I thought you should know. And as he leaves, he even lets him know, I won't tell anyone where you are. I know you're going to relocate anyways, but you have my word. I will not reveal your location. So he is informed Din, and everything that we know of Din, we know what Din's going to do here. You know, (laughs) Din's a good, good guy. He's been carrying Grogu around. He helps you know, Cobb Vanth, he helps the, the Jawas or any of the local people anytime they need uh, yeah. they need something. He's absolutely going to go help his buddy Grief, who has offered him land. Grief has offered him a home, a place right. to live. And, and he's Clint Eastwood, let's be real here. It's he that is. old Western trope of like, if, if a town is being like, 
you know, invaded or whatever, or controlled by these outlaws, he's going to come in and step up and, and, uh, you know, be the gunslinger that, that saves the day. That's, that's the whole premise of the show. So we know what he's going to do here. Yeah. We, but they've set that up pretty well. And this next part was, uh, was good. I liked because we get inside the cave. And Din has the conch. He has the talking <laughs> yeah. stick here. He's got right, the right. hammer. He's the got the hammer. The armorer's hammer. So he gets yeah. to talk. Everyone's sitting down, and he gives his impassioned speech. I know many of you uh, don't really know Grief Karga. Those who do, you fought against him. You rescued me from his ambush many cycles ago. Since then, he's had a change of heart. He's risked his life to save mine as well as the foundling in my charge. I stand before you to petition an intervention to help rescue Navarro before it's too late. I'm in no position to ask any more of you. And then all they all start to chatter. They don't seem like they're they're being receptive to what Din is saying. But he continues on. However, the enemy that decimated this very covert were Imperials, not Grief Cargo's bounty hunters. He's now a high magistrate, and he has offered me a tract of land on his independent world. Perhaps it is time for us to live in the light once again on a planet when we are where we are welcome. So our culture may flourish and our children can feel what it is to play in the sunlight. And he hands the uh, hammer to the armorer. He walks and sits down next to Bo. He says, it's up to them now. The armorer looks around and asks if anyone else wants to speak. Like, oh, no. Paz Vizsla is about to get up here. What's this? (laughs) What's this son of a bitch about to say? You guys like, oh, no. And they they bait you with this. This was really good. He. He gets up and he says, uh, I was there on Navarro that night. I fought against Grief Karga and his hunters. I saw my brothers and sisters fall at the hands of the Imperial butchers that hunted us in the sewers. I saw many dive to to save the life of this one tiny foundling. And now we are asked to sacrifice yet again? The question we should be asking ourselves is why? Why should we lay our our lives down yet again? Because we are (laughs) Mandalorians. Uh, Flipped it. Flipped it, yeah. strike yeah. that, reverse it. Loved it. How'd you going? <laughs> hey, it was good. It was really good. I was about to. I was like, they baited me because I'm like, dude, he just <laughs> saved your kid, man. What right, you right. I'm like screaming at the TV, and that's exactly what he said. Because we are Mandalorians. <laughs> I've had my disagreements this with this man, but he risked his life to save my son. Bo-Katan Kreese did not give up on my child's life, even when the rest of us did. They're asking us to take up arms in the name of a brighter future, and I will take up arms to fight by their side. And then he yells, this is the way. <laughs> and man, I got goosebumps even thinking about it. Yeah. It, was, it was a great moment. It really was. It was. And you know what? Uh, we're we're, we're kind of dummies for ever falling for that, that he wouldn't want to take up that fight. I mean, these are right? Mandalorians. They live to fight. They live in their armor, literally. They, that's, they got wrist rockets 24-7. Uh, and so, of course, they're 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 itching to get in that fight, and any excuse to to go do it and 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 fight for for a cause is is uh is something they're going to jump at that chance. So uh, I thought it was it was smart the way they did this uh, the, the the speech here, the way they had us going. They 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 tricked us. They pulled a little dangle yank, uh, and they kept it they kept it uh they kept us guessing. They kept it interesting. So I liked the writing here. I felt kind of like a, a mark for uh, for falling for that for that first. Part me, of his me speech, too. but me too. It, I was like, man, I'm, if if somebody watched like me and you doing a live reaction, sometimes I would be like a yeah. total square. I'd be like, sometimes <laughs> that second and third rewatch is what really helps me a lot of the time. You know, sure. I'm, I'm like, yeah. I'm like the total fanboy that first time through, and uh, yeah. and, and this was fun. This was good, 
And now, let's, like, let's before we go on. Sorry, I, I just was thinking about the light. You know, that's that's some really uh, interesting foreshadowing there. He mentions living in the light yes. um, specifically, and then mentions sunlight right after. That's kind of doubles down on that theme. Uh, immediately, you're thinking like, well, that I mean, even I know this metaphorical of like, you know, showing themselves, exposing themselves to the world. Uh, but does that include, you know, taking off their helmets? Uh, there's there's uh, there's a connection there for sure. Um, and, and you wonder, like, how does that how does that work? Uh, will they be able to do that with their helmets on? Yes. You know, how, what, what, what does that look like? And then jump ahead in this episode. There's a really important visual with uh, the armor and Bo-Katan where well, like Bo-Katan a light is in the light. Yes. yes like, and I, it's like a I feel beam like shining through on full her circle. Yeah, I think that that all ties together thematically and symbolically uh, for where this episode is going, where the Mandalorians are going as, as a culture. Uh, and I, I thought that was that was smart writing right there and, and a good way of foreshadowing. Me too. As what I really like about Bo, too, and I mentioned this uh, at the beginning, is I think about like coaches that I have or watching mm-hmm. pro sports and stuff, coaches of teams. And for the most part, you're usually either – a really good tactician, you can make adjustments, you're someone who knows the game well, and if if that's the case, you're usually not as good of a people person. Like, right. if you're usually, like, more book smart, and you're someone that can make the adjustments, that's a lot of times why they have, like, assistant coaches who are the opposite of you. That way you can sort of complete right. it. Um, and then there's the others that are great motivators. Right. They may not know exactly what to do. Ted Lasso, you know what I mean? Like he doesn't know what right. to do on the field, <laughs> but he could get you to run through a brick wall for him because you love the guy and you respect. Exactly. Him. And it's and that's amazing. why Ted Lasso needed that, that, that character. What's his, the guy Nate. who left the team. Nate. Yeah. That's why Nate. Ted Lasso, Lasso needs a Nate. Yeah, exactly. hundred percent. And now you look at this and I think that's why the armor was, is so impressed with Bo-Katan. She's such a well-rounded leader. She True. not only like we're we're hearing her now in this next scene where she's in charge. She's running down the plan. This is the class yeah. fighter transport. I'm going to use this to drop you in and you will operate as a tight military unit. Din Djarin and myself will reinforce from above. Everyone acts as they should. We can use the element of surprise and defeat that um, an enemy that outnumbers us. She goes through everything. Pirate King Gorian Sharn is captaining this ship. Here's what he has. Here's all of his. Uh, the uh, the artillery that he has, Navarro is an independent planet, no longer under Imperial or New Republic protection. But it's that very independence that makes it appealing for you to settle. You lived there once, hiding in the sewers, but now you can be heroes. So she not only goes through the tactics, sets them all up, tells them where they need to be, what they need to do. She gives them the motivational speech at the end. She's like, she's got it all yeah. here. Yeah, she really is. She's uh, like you were saying, she's she's Ted Lasso and Nate all at the same uh-huh. time. Yeah. Uh, and then combine that, you know, with um, the armorer's knowledge of her kind of backstory and and, and that Bo-Katan, you know, is a natural leader of like, you know, the greater you know people of Mandalore. Obviously, she's been abandoned, but she could get those people back under her under her wing, so to speak. Uh, the, the armorer sees like just the perfect leader right here. So it makes sense where the episode goes and ultimately what she asks of Bo-Katan at the end of this episode here, uh, because she brings all those qualities to the table, including, you know, her, her backstory and her family lineage and connection to the people uh, at large. Um, So yeah, it it makes perfect sense and it's good stuff. 
uh, as we check in with Navarro, pirates have now taken control of Navarro. They're drinking in the schools. TK, they're shooting at the <laughs> monkeys. Come on, these poor monkeys. <laughs> they're getting yeah. shot at. And which they uh, were really cool looking, by the way. Like I, we've seen them before, but for some, this episode, I thought elevated them a little bit. Like again, we saw a little more of their personality and them like, hanging they, in the trees. Like they seem really realistic. The, the special effects seemed elevated. Not uh, something they half asked. You could just tell. No. Like it wasn't yeah. like a oh let's just throw some goofy looking uh, like a, a, gra- a graphic character in the back. No, this is this was well done, well fleshed out, and we uh, take a look at Ongorian ship, and they mm-hmm. notice that there's a starfighter coming at them, and it's Bo Katan. She blasts a shot right at Gorian ship. He fires mm-hmm. back, and so does Vane. So Vane is now battling in the air, and we get this like two pronged battle going on. Yeah, that that I thought was really cool. In the air, we have Bo-Katan, we have Din, and then on the ground, we get multiple teams of the Mandalorians that drop in. And that was really cool. I, I wanted to just mention one thing about that. It it really reminded me of the book Starship Troopers and the way they described the way that the uh, the troopers, these drop troopers, would you know invade a planet. It, it was almost like beat for beat and shot for shot, like what I imagined in my head as described in the movie, in, in the book Starship Troopers, different from how it's it's shown in the movies. They don't do like these jetpack things and falling from um, ships in the same way. But this was like how it is in the book. If, if you've ever read that book, highly recommend it. Recommend the movie more because it, it satirizes a lot of the like militaristic uh, and imperialist. It's a good movie, man. Of, of, it of is. Book. Yeah, the, the movie's better than, than the book in ways, but the book does uh, describe some really interesting um, sci-fi battles and and one of them it, it, one of the main things that I took away from it that I remembered is just how cool it, it was for these these troopers to kind of drop in from these ships and they they fully realized that here and I thought that was really cool they did it through the Mandalorians I can't help but be reminded of the the scene in Harold and Kumar with Rob Corddry <laughs> where he's like right. Mr. Harris he's talking to NPH Mr. Harris right. the work you did in Starship Troopers made me <laughs> want to be he's like, <laughs> it just made me laugh right there thinking about like Neil Patrick That's Harris great. and Rob Corddry. So uh, you never know where we're going to go on one of these uh, <laughs> right. re- up one of these rewatches. But it uh, – man, again, I know I like a show when some of the things that might make me like roll my eyes on, on other shows, they kind mm-hmm. I kind of smile on them. You know, like mm-hmm. I like the corny because there's this moment where – Grief Karga is talking to Din as uh, Din's flying around, and we got Grogu just sitting on his lap as he's flying, which is a great, a great visual. Yeah. He says, um, "Be careful, my friend. They've got you outnumbered ten to one." And Mando says, "I decided to take you up on that offer for a tract of your land. Okay. I like those odds." And uh, Grief <laughs> says, "I bet you do, Panama Red." You know, he tells him, uh, <laughs> "So." Uh, that one made me chuckle too. There, just look, yeah. these guys are buddies, and uh, we know Din is here to save the day. It's like one of these. There's nobody in the world that thinks Din and Grogu are going to get blown up in this episode, right? Like nobody, no. nobody's expecting one of our main characters to go. But we, can you imagine if they right? did that? Just like, <laughs> like at the season three, episode five, the pirates just randomly get them. It's like what? Just definitively blew them up, and like what? they're definitely dead. We see it on camera. Like that would that would just. People would what? be shocked. It would be on like local news. It really know, would it be would. one of those stupid things that gets it picked would. up by all the news outlets. Like, Grogu is dead. Baby Yoda dead. <laughs> like, yeah. Um, so 
a group of the Mandalorians drop in. They're kicking some pirates' ass. The Anzellians are cheering on in the background. We see the next group of the Mandalorians drop in. And initially, they have the um the they have surprise. They have the surprise attack advantage. And obviously they're super trained fighters and they're gonna be able to, you know, take down a few pirates to one each of them. But they're yeah. way, way outnumbered. And what we see here is you know, Gorian has the big ship, so they're able to shoot from above down. They also have like a lot of pirates who have been in the city, and now they're actually able to gain advantage because there's so many of them. They get to the higher ground. This reminds me of uh of Anakin, right? <laughs> right. At the higher ground here, they actually are able to get uh, some of the pirates up to Grief Karga's uh, sort of palace. So they're able to look down on the square, look down on all the town. Um, we didn't uh, mention the uh, the badass moment for Paz Vizla where he sort of drops in with with like an automatic blaster that's just yeah. taking pirates out one at a time. His his blaster yeah. gun looks like five times as big as every other one. And so not only is he big in like his size, he comes into the fight and he throws his weight around like a big dude. Oh yeah. And, and the action here across the board, you know, uh, on the ground, in the skies, it's, it's incredible. The editing is great. Uh, we, we touched on that, you know, in previous episodes with some of the dog fights with the Thai fighters uh, and Bo-Katan and, and Din. Uh, this felt like a great extension of that. Uh, also got to mention that great sequence with Din and the pirates in the asteroid uh, belt. I mean, this season has just, been uh, no no shortage of really good memorable uh, fight scenes and battles, and that's what you want. I mean, this is Star Wars, right? We need we need that represented on screen and at the level that they are in the theater. So far, they really have not disappointed with that. So this scene was uh, this whole sequence was a great extension of that, with the caveat of saying like every time that they cut to the the the, the, the on the ground like the the, the extras and stuff kind of took me out of it like that was something yeah, that kind of persisted throughout i mentioned that before that's we could have used a few hundred it. people in the background just like running around and that's chaos. really all it would have taken maybe right? a, a, like few, a few more shots yeah or like i think on, on one of the things i saw you got to have a few tough townspeople that want to stay and fight right there's right. always going to be a few of those people that are like i'm not leaving my home or i'm not leaving my job or you know this this my business here i'm going to stay and fight and we you're right it just it was too empty it was too just like immediately cleared out which and is- i think part of that i think part of that was sanitizing the violence of it i mean this was a major yeah. terrorist attack here you have to presume that all these people That's were good killed point. and dismembered you didn't see anybody's arm get blown off or anything like but this was some serious like this was a lot of people kids would have died in this and it just that that tone did not really ever present itself though that that uh the depth of that uh those stakes never really presented themselves i mean you could you can kind of infer all of that but you don't see any of that you don't see anybody even injured uh in the in the frames but you you would assume people would be absolutely blown apart in these things and it would be it would be just it would be a disaster it would be horrible but you know, again this is disney plus how, how do you represent that so they're kind of stuck in a, in a weird place to to have this story that's essentially a major terrorist attack on like a city, but you know, you can't really show any of it. Now it seems like in the air, Bo and Din are doing a great job because they keep hitting the big ship 
repeatedly. And on Gorian's ship, his minions, they're getting nervous. The, the ship is not in great mm-hmm. shape. They keep taking out engines. Um, that That is the problem of being this huge ship, right? You're a sitting duck. Right. You're a huge target for a much more maneuverable ship like Din has on the N1 and for the, the sort of tactics that Bo knows. So as Bo and Din continue to take out that ship up top, the pirates gaining the advantage on the ground until... Freaking armor, man! Um, the uh, the armor is sort of the last blow, and as the armor on on Navarro gets control, we see Gorian's ship go down. Yeah. TK, this scene was really cool, and this is kind of what you're talking about. Definitely. Like they had to be a little careful here because she's got the the hammer, and she's mm-hmm. got like a pitchfork. And yeah. she like stabs one of these pirates like <laughs> right in the back of the neck. And then she yeah. just takes out a couple more. She takes out three pirates with this hammer. And the the way that they show it and her like walking in and even just sort of like the music and the drama in the background. Man, this <laughs> is this is terrifying. This was like yeah. r- I really got a, a kick out of this scene. It was so badass. It just like immediately followed by the big ship. Like sputtering and then yeah. pirate vein bailing. It's like, I'm out, I'm out, and he bails. Like this was uh, a few moments of not great, uh a not yeah. great last stand for Gorian Shard, the pirate king. But damn this armor, this scene with the armor just getting to see her in action. I, I love this. Yeah, the the action was absolutely fantastic. And they were able to do a little bit more and show a little bit more of the the violence when it was against the bad guys against the pirates but um yeah one thing i i, I would have liked to see more of and i just don't know how they could have with the, with the limitations on disney plus shows is is the the stakes on the ground for the people living in navarro and and how they were being harmed there um but again you don't want to get into anything too traumatizing i, I watched the show with my two-year-old son for for heaven's sake so yeah um yeah they 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 struck a good balance in the end but still there there's something that felt off about that when I thought about it a little too much. I agree. I agree. Now the uh, Bo and Din are able to blast that final engine and take it out. And Gorian's pilots and his ship go down. This huge pirate ship falls. And we see the five townspeople celebrate. They're happy. <laughs> Just like we see the small group of people celebrate. As, uh, grief thanks them. Especially our fine Mandalorian liberators. This planet is now forever indebted. Mandalorians, I know that we have been on opposite sides in the past, but that is behind us. From this day forward, I, Magistrate Grief Karga, <laughs> the droid corrects him. Hi, Magistrate, sir. A little, uh, they got a little laugh there. Yeah. I cede all land from the western lava fat, uh, flats to Bullock Canyon to the fine people of Mandalore. You may no longer have a home planet but you do now have a home. So the Mandalorians have a sect of land now on Navarro. The really cool thing about that, uh, just mentioning Bullock Canyon, Bullock was the name of the guy who first initially played Boba Fett. He was the first ever Mandalorian in a Star Wars anything. So they they just like, those are the little tidbits that you love. Bullock Canyon named after the first 
Mandalorian that we've ever seen in Star Wars, Boba Fett, ever in Mandalorian armor. And now he gets to come full circle as the Mandalorians are going to be living in Bola Canyon here. And this was a great moment. The citizens cheer. And it's again another moment where we don't see the faces of any of these Mandalorians, but they all Mm. feel proud. They're standing like, like they're proud, like they're happy. They're almost like, you can almost sense like a weight off of their shoulders. Yeah. Like a smile. Yeah. Yeah. Like they. That's so true. And it, I don't know how they do it or what they do, but it's like, and maybe we're playing it in our head a little bit because we we know Mm -hmm. the story. Right. But it really does feel like I I go back to wrestling. Sometimes you can see masked wrestlers emote. You can't based on their body language and what they do. And like, it's similar here. You hear it in their voices when Din talks, when Paz talks, when Bo talks. You you Certainly. sense their grief, not Karga, but you sense their like their spare. You sense their feelings, their emotions. Um, so as everybody yeah. celebrates, the armorer summons Bo Katan. So Bo goes to speak with the armorer, and they're just one on one. And the armorer is sitting looking at a big forge where she would uh Forge the the Beskar steel and armor for all all the Mandalorians. She says, this was our forge. It was stolen. It was taken from them. And we once used it. And then she also mentions the forge back on Mandalore. And I I love this speech because it's basically telling you, hey, you could have the fanciest thing in the world or you could Mm -hmm. have the most basic thing. But if they both do the same job and they both work, that's really all that matters. And, and that's what she's saying. It was large. It was ornate. The air rang with the music of a hundred hammers. And here was a simple one, but they were both forges. They served the same yeah. purpose. The armorer tells Bo to remove her helmet. And Bo is hesitant, which I like because oh, Bo, yeah. is, Bo is like embrace this new family now. Yeah. She's, she's like, hey, I'm back in with you guys. You guys, I'm, I'm, I'm leading stuff here. Everybody likes me. I don't want to screw this up. She doesn't, she's like, oh, really, yeah. she's into this right now. But the she armor- hears the armorer say, take off your helmet, and immediately uh, she, she's hearing, it's a trap! We see the, <laughs> we see the gift, the meat. It's a trap! Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. It's Admiral Akbar screaming in her ears. And Bo waits. The armorer says, do you respect my station? Bo does. Hmm. Then remove your helmet. And we hear that pressurization of Bo taking off the helmet, and we see her face. The armorer goes on. Our people have strayed from the way. And it is not enough for a few to walk it. We must walk it together. Bo responds, this is the way. And the armorer continues, we must walk the way together, all Mandalorians. Bo says that she understands. And the armorer goes on, I was taught that the mythosaur only existed in legends. You saw it. It is a sign that the next age is upon us. Mandalore must all come together. And you have walked in both worlds you are the one who can unite us. Wow. Big moment for Bo. As the armor and Bo rejoin the group, and as Bo walks out, she has no helmet on. Everyone's like, what, what? the hell's going on? Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Paz and Ben are like, what the hell? Grogu <laughs> looks at her like, what? And Paz um, is confused. Uh, she shows her face. The armor stops him. She's going off to bring other Mandalorians in exile to us so that we may join together. Bo-Katan walks both worlds, and she can bring all tribes together. It's time to retake Mandalore. 
She smiles, got a little, and everyone listens and agrees. And you can see Din sort of agrees because I think for him, he doesn't want to be a leader. He never wanted to be that. And it's not really in him like it is in Bo. So I think he's happy for his friend. And we'll probably see Bo in the next episode or two go out to try to find Sasha Banks, maybe, and some other Mandalorians. (laughs) Who knows? (laughs) Who knows, right? Yeah. Uh, Some of the others that were with her before. Yeah, th- th- this was um, really interesting to me and also very confusing. You know, I-, I don't know exactly what it means and I don't know what the armor and, has in mind here. And, and I is don't... it straight up good, right? Is it straight up yeah. 100% good? I think so. I don't think the armor is trying to like mm-hmm. pull a fast one here. I don't, but me neither. We don't know. I'm not 100% no. sure. Like, I-, I think she's being genuine and that she does think Bo Katan can, you know, unite. All of the Mandalorians, but yeah. It, while I was saying we have seen Bo prove herself, it still mm-hmm. did seem like a pretty like roundabout for the armorer here. You know, like yeah. It, I, the logic of it is what where I I kind of got lost, and I'm not saying that uh, I don't think that there is um, a logic to it. I just I, I don't see the logic here. Uh, I, I'm confused about. Well, what is the way? If because I I thought that the way was very the old way. I mean, that's, it's not just one thing. Yes, but, uh, but a big part of it is the helmet and that you you never take that off. That's my understanding. And so when she says, you know, that we need everyone to be walk- not enough people walked away, and then she's saying take your helmet off. It's like, well, which is it? Is, are we saying that this is no longer though? Are we changing the way? Or are we saying temporarily you're gonna you're gonna not walk the way or you're gonna walk the up you know the other way so that you can bring more people back in and i don't really i don't follow it i don't follow exactly why she would she would do that um and or what she's driving at what her end goal is i i I mean on the surface it's just to to unite everybody but i i don't understand how that works and does she ultimately want everybody united and then she's gonna go oh by the way we're, we're putting helmets back on now like once everybody's back in the fold and like bought in as a society, then they'll be like, by the way, guys, the helmets go back on now. Like, is yeah. that going to happen at some point? I, and what's I'm, the response going to be to that? Right. And I don't, I just, I don't, under, I, it's, it's confusing to me. I don't get it. I, it. To me, it seems like that she, she would keep the helmet on, but be conflicting sent out there. Methodology yeah, it's, it's, here. it's incredibly conflicting, but I'm not saying that it, it can't work. The, the, the best way I can make sense of it is kind of what I just touched on is that it's maybe a temporary thing or like, She's going to go. She needs to have the helmet off to be able to appeal to these people, to be able to get, you know, make that connection to people who already have their helmets off, the rest of the Mandalorian people. And then she can bring them back into the fold and then convert them in in the same way that Bo-Katan was converted. Uh, She had an opportunity to come back into the fold and then found the beauty of it and wanted to stick to that that culture. Uh, But or or is it the other way? Is it that that we're going to end up with no helmets? Right. Is that, that is it, are, are we going toward the light? Uh, yes. I'm I'm not sure. <laughs> it's a little I mean, confusing. And I'm in, in with wondering if like do we see like a John? You know, because we know one of the voice one of the voices is John Favreau. We yeah, know it's yeah. like maybe do we see all these people at, at some point with their helmets I hope off so. and the armor? Yeah. Me too. I would I would hope that would be the way we're going to go. As yeah, this mm-hmm. is a, an interesting way for our our Mandalorians to uh to. Gonna go their separate ways for a short mm-hmm. period of time. And we end this episode, TK, with Captain Teva. Mm-hmm. He's out in in the uh he's out in space and he finds a shuttle that's empty that was attacked. It says a, yeah. a derelict lambda shuttle. He calls it in to Lieutenant Reed. 
The hole was breached. The vessel shows evidence of being attacked. Are there any reports in the area? So, yeah, there was a report of a missing craft in the region, but the details are classified. So hmm. Captain Tava launches a probe. I thought this was cool, just like seeing the, the probe go out and yeah. like the video of it. Um, Stephanie said, it looks like we're, we're like the Titanic. You know, like yeah. when, they're, when they were showing like the when you see things go under, underwater and they go down and they're watching the, the wreckage and the footage and stuff. So Teva sends this connection back to the New Republic officers and they're able to see, oh, yeah, it's a New Republic transport. Check the departure times. I'll be damned. The ship, the flight times match the ship transporting Moff Gideon. I knew it. He never made it to trial. There don't seem to be any survivors, and Moff Gideon's body is missing. But there was an extraction. Who were the perpetrators? And as they scan the ship, they only see remains of the flight crew. But in the wall, there's a fragment of Beskar alloy. What are you saying? Moff Gideon was taken by Mandalorians? <laughs> Which wouldn't make sense, right? Because no. Frame job. Frame yeah. job for sure. Because the Mandalorians are too smart. They're too sharp. They're too good to leave yeah. Beskar, they love their Beskar too. Oh, it's they cool need that. For them. They're not going to yeah, leave yeah. it around. So this was definitely a uh, a setup job, like you said, right? Somebody's trying to pin yeah. this on the Mandalorians here. Um, but as as we've assumed, Moff Gideon is alive. Moff Gideon is out there somewhere, and mm-hmm. the New Republic can't do a hell of a lot. Like they mm-hmm. they're not really good at policing everything right now. Yeah, they're they're kind of inept, and they're they're getting hosed and uh, and and manipulated, and they're run by bureaucrats. There's maybe one good officer that we've seen from there, so it's it's uh it's interesting to see that side of you know who are supposed to be the good the good guys, uh, but they're you know they're clearly kind of a mess and a little bit closer to the empire than uh than we had imagined before. Um, but uh, the, the the frame job, I'm I'm not sure who's behind it. Uh, but one thing that really has me interested is the whereabouts of Cara Dune in relation to this, because I believe they mentioned that Cara Dune was escorting Moff on that ship. So she should have been on that ship. We uh, didn't see a dead body and they didn't mention a name, which they very easily could have. So I feel like she's got to be around still. Right. I feel like they're going to bring her back. I I, I feel like they may have given some time to Mm -hmm. let things go. Like, you know, yeah. let stuff die down a little bit and maybe you bring her back because it would have been very think, easy for them to just be like, oh, my gosh, that was Officer Dune. Right. They could have just said absolutely. That. And she they would have done it. There. Nobody would have said it. I mean, people would have said all oh, that thing, but it would have it would have made right. sense to the plot that she was it in would've. that ship. It would have totally made sense. It wouldn't have been like something that was far fetched that we had to. Oh, no, they did that to get rid of her. Mm-hmm. So if they wanted to, they had the they had the out right there. Absolutely. And the fact that they didn't take that chance uh, to me says that they're keeping that door open. And if I can read between the lines uh, from what I've seen, you know, from the creators and when they talk about her, I think John Favreau really likes her. I think Dave Filoni really likes her. I don't think that she was a problem to like the production or, you know, the, her co-stars or anything like that. I think it's purely it's, like a political. That's a lot of you know, it. And whether or not you believe or like what she says, I don't like, I don't like what she said, but like, if Mm -hmm. she's that, like, we're still in America, you know what I mean? Like, we're still like, like, I don't agree with it. I don't know what, I don't know all the specifics about everything. I don't know what Mm -hmm. was, if it was elite, like things that were illegal or not, but if she wasn't being Mm -hmm. like a nuisance on set to all of the people around, 
that's really what it's going to come down to. Yeah. I mean, and it, what, just to recap, my understanding of what she did and why people were so upset is she was posting a lot during COVID about vaccine mandates and things of that nature and kind of supporting people on the right or against uh, the, the COVID mandates, essentially. And at yeah. one point, she posted a meme that was comparing the way that the Nazis treated Jews in the, yeah, in the Holocaust yeah. to the way, and, and not just the way that they were treated in the Holocaust, but the the the, the time period that kind of uh, followed predated, predated the, the, yeah, the, yeah. the Holocaust. That the the sentiment of the people about Jewish people and the othering of people. She was drawing a comparison of that and saying that that can lead to very bad things like the Holocaust. I don't know if she said it in the most um, eloquent way or the most proper just way. Anytime you, that you, was the point you she was making. Exactly. And that's just the problem is that it's one of those things like anytime it's you revoke Hitler thing. or yeah. anything in that set Nazi, like, just don't say that. You know what I mean? Right, like, right. nobody's going to listen to what you have to say after the moment that that is brought up, um, like your substance I, at all. Uh, and I think that was. Yeah. But, but it was noticeable in this episode mm -hmm. that we didn't hear her name. They brought yeah. her name up before. So they very easily mm -hmm. could have done it again. It wasn't like they just didn't want to mention her name. So I, yeah. I think we're going to get. Or maybe they pushed the show back a little bit, the New Republic show. We know we're getting yeah. the Ahsoka show coming up soon. And I I like where this episode ended. I like the action that we got. Overall, yeah. I felt very pleased. And I'm really curious what's going to happen with Bo and, and um, you know, moving forward with the, the Mandalorian culture. Same. Uh, I feel like they've, they've put a lot of the pieces on the board. And this was the episode that they really started to intertwine and come together. And I want to see where that leads us in these final episodes. Are these going to be Bo-Katan episodes? Are we going to see some other characters from the Ahsoka series and start to set that up? Because, you know, historically, that's what they've done in the series. Uh, in the season, they'll, they'll, they'll basically branch off and they'll do kind of like, um, what's the word? Uh, like a pilot, like a soft pilot. Like a different, a full other, of, are we going to get like a full other Moff yeah. Gideon episode coming up? Right, to right, see right. like where he is and what happened, maybe. Like in the in the past, we've gotten um, the Ahsoka episode, which is almost like a soft pilot for her series. We got the Boba Fett episode, which was a soft pilot for his series. Uh, Bo-Katan, I'm not exactly sure what's going on there, if they're going to do a series or not, but that on, uh, honestly feels like almost a separate uh, story that's being, you know, uh, sprouted from, you know, the main line of uh, of the Mandalorian here. Uh, so it's it, I'm, I'm really intrigued to see where they go and how they tie it all together and where they decide to branch off and who they decide to bring back into the fold, you know, characters from Rebels and and uh, in uh, the TV shows and the animated programs or uh, maybe some more from the original trilogy and the sequel trilogy. I'm very interested. I would love to see some tie in with Snoke at some point. I feel like Snoke was a little bit underdeveloped in the sequel trilogy, and it would be cool to kind of flesh that out. Uh, in these series a little bit. Tim Kelly will be here with us each and every <laughs> week. We are on to episode six of The Mandalorian season three. So just three more left of this season to discuss. TK, buddy, thank you so much, man. I really appreciate all the help. Looking forward to talking uh, episode six with you next week. And we will be following Tim and um, his music projects and all of the great stuff on Twitter and on Instagram at Tim is not funny. Check out all the great work he does there. And you'll hear this voice again next week talking to Mando episode six. Thanks so much, buddy. Have a good week. And uh, we'll talk to you again next week. Thanks, you know, look forward to it.
And that's going to do it for this episode. A big thank you to Tim Kelly for helping us out. We'll be back next week talking all about The Mandalorian, episode six of season three. There's only three more left, six, seven, and eight this season. And we'll keep checking in on everything going on in the world of baseball. Uh, Eric will join us to talk NBA and what the playoffs look like coming soon. Big weekend in racing, so we'll have Keeneland, Santa Anita, and Aqueduct coverage of all their big races coming up this weekend right here on That's What G Said. We're also going to have a big sit-down WrestleMania recap and review with Andrew, with Darren, and with Chad. So, so much coming on That's What G Said in the coming days and weeks. Thanks so much for hanging out with us, folks. We'll talk to you again real soon.